0: F M Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on F M, where we always have the latest technology news, all the latest ideas and happenings around the tech industry, and a very, very strange but interesting industry we're working in at the moment. Connectivity is everywhere. Unfortunately for many, threats are everywhere, and the big talk, something that is just going to be endlessly hyped and continuously spoken about over the next year or two, and in fact for the next foreseeable future, because it's hot. We heard about the cloud, we heard about lots of things over the last few years, but the big, the big step change in technology for 2018 and going forward is AI or artificial intelligence or smart machines, whatever you want to call it. But there is no question that our tech is getting super smart. It's starting to <laughs> almost develop a mind of its own, but that's something we'll talk about a little later in our Tech Talk Cafe segment, where I've actually got an interesting fella, even if I say so myself. He's joining us online from and Fisher, who one of the specialist um, IP and trademark attorneys in South Africa, and he's an associate there, and he is Brendan Ambrose. He'll be joining us uh, at 11.20 with a really interesting dive into AI and what it means and, um, you know, what happens when AI creates something. Who does it belong to? What's the impact of that? And it's actually something that you need to think about a lot because in many ways it, it doesn't really just affect you know, big companies. It affects small companies. You use a little computer program based on AI techniques. It creates a work of art, creates a program, creates something. Who does it belong to? You or them? But anyway, stay tuned. That's going to be a fascinating, um, dive into what AI is where it it's going and uh, what it actually means in the real world certainly with regard to ownership and to copyright so stay tuned for that that's 1120 with Brendan Ambrose from Spur and Fisher now moving on to other huge news of the week well finally the winds of change are blowing um and they seem to be sweeping all manner of nonsense in front of them and one of those is ANN 7 now you know I don't like talking about colleagues in the in the industry. But unfortunately, ANN7 has been plagued with a huge amount of controversy. Part of the Gupta Empire recently sold to Jimmy Manier in a sweet deal with 450 million rand. I wish I could get some amazing deals like that. But anyway, um, they have always been and currently broadcast on DSTV. And uh, there's been massive, massive controversy about that. Well, yesterday, multi-choice finally came out and said that they made a few mistakes. This is something that we need to think about. Now, this is tech but not tech, but the fact is it affects the entire communications industry and someone as powerful as multi-choice. I mean, multi-choice are the de facto Go to for high quality entertainment. Sorry, SABC. In many cases, in fact, they are the only real pay TV broadcast channel. In the country, and they have enormous power, so it becomes really important that they are a trusted source of information that a news channel that pops up on their um, bouquet of whatever is 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 really meets high standards of ethics and high standards of reporting and is certainly a credible thing it 's really uncomfortable to have something or someone or some channel that is just a mouthpiece of one particular Propaganda channel, and uh, that's pretty much where ANN 7 went. There was no question that over the years it just became a mouthpiece for the faction of the ANC, sort of half led and half run by the Gupta clan and everyone else, and it is quite a big deal that they've now said that mistakes were made and they're going to pull them off. The problem is very simple. They haven't exactly said what those mistakes were. They did say that, well, due diligences weren't properly done, but they spent 25 million rand on bad due diligence. Hard to get that signed off unless there's certain documentation and processes in place. Um, and also they apologized that... Uh, they didn't react quickly enough to the concerns that were raised about the ownership of ANN7, which is fluffy at best and disingenuous at worst. And there were no corporate go- guidelines for lobbying, uh, political speak for saying they wanted influence and this was a great way to get influence at the right circles via the right people, something that i am afraid, without talking, this is not politics 101 on high, but there was so many issues surrounding this. And I think that um, there's been massive backlash backlash against multi-choice and i think they really need to come clean and get out there and get ahead of this and really tell us why and what is going on and hold those who did make the mistakes cannot be a collective decision sounds more and more like our dear friends the ANZ Um, hold those that made these mistakes that you know were inappropriate and hold them to account and and claw back some of their credibility but it's still big news and it seems that um more and more of this is is being washed away. But now moving on to something else, which is quite controversial, and something that uh, Kathy Kaler, the station manager, and I agree to disagree on many cases, is Facebook, how powerful it's become, how unbelievably pervasive it has become. And they had a a really crazy year last year. There were lots of scandals, lots of backlash. There's even been petitions to stop their kiddie... um, you know chat section because of the impact it's had and I mean whether you like it or not with billions upon billions of people around the world all connected through Facebook all doing a huge amount of stuff through Facebook organizing parties you know recording their life sharing with friends family and and loved ones around the world it has unbelievably positive um, benefits no question and it certainly brought the world through messenger through through whatsapp which Interestingly, you may or may not recall, is owned by Facebook. It has really made the world world really small. People travel millions of miles. Well, not quite, but they travel overseas. They go far away and they stay in touch via video, via pictures, via life experiences. They check into lovely places. So Facebook has had an unbelievable impact on keeping uh, friends and families and even reuniting friends and families and people that you haven't seen since nursery school for that matter, um, across the globe. So unbelievably powerful and unbelievably, um, big and really reaching out to almost every single connected human on the planet via their mobile phones more and more. But there's a, I wouldn't say a dark side, but there's the flip side to all this. One, it gives Facebook Absolutely enormous power because depending on how the news is presented, depending on what information you showed, there was a scandal recently where Facebook did a bit of a social experiment and only pushed positive news to a select group of viewers and watched their reactions. And then to another select group of viewers uh, or or members, they pushed negative news and watched their reactions. It's a great social experiment. I'm sure all the uh, psychologists were freaking out about how unbelievably clever that was. The problem is it's manipulative based on stuff that you are sharing with them and they've had to backtrack on a lot of this and what is happening more and more people are actually tuning out they either go very rarely to Facebook or they don't go back at all and what Facebook have been trying to do because they're at a saturation point they pretty much have reached everybody that they can reach in ways that they can do it they've been now saying to people who've logged off or haven't logged back on or have stayed off for a long while they're sending them MMS's messages messages, SMSs, emails, and getting quite creative saying, you know, was it you logging on to Facebook? We haven't noticed you being logging on, creating all sorts of things to try to get you back. So be aware that this is happening. Be aware that if you don't go on a lot and um, you may start getting all sorts of spam from Facebook, I would just simply uh, opt out uh, if, if that was you. But it's quite an interesting thing and expect that to get even more and more and more um, pushy as Facebook needs to keep growing, needs to keep being relevant because they still make most of their money from advertising. And the last thing about Facebook is that they are definitely going to be rethinking their formula for the news feed to put an emphasis on posts from friends and family, and I think that's a great thing. They're going to downplay content from media and brands, which, again, I think is a brilliant thing. So hopefully we'll start seeing more diversity from friends, family, connections, people that you actually want to hear from, and less pushy adverts and odd, weird stuff popping up based on those surprisingly those are amazing popping up down the road so watch the space i think facebook are in for an interesting couple of years going ahead as they've become the big daddy and on that note we'll break for a quick uh, ad and then we'll be back with more news from the tech world (laughs) tech talk with stephen ambrose 11 to 12 p.m only on 101.9 out. Welcome back. And moving on to some, I think, really good news just shows that perhaps uh, it's not all doom and gloom. 2017 was quite a challenging year for most companies, most people. Hopefully 2018, which we're a month into, amazing, um, is going to be a lot better. But Vodacom lo- released their last quarter figures uh, on Monday, and they were pretty good. Overall, they had grown their um their subscriber base by 13%, it actually jumped a little bit higher in South Africa, and their overall revenue jumped by 9.7%, which is great. But interestingly, in South Africa, they grew their customer base 14.4% to 41.6 million people. Now, considering there are 57 million people in the country, one network to have 41.6 connections, I won't say people, but 41.6 million connections um, is is pretty Insane. But the big story again is that data, according to Vodacom, dropped by nearly 25% in cost. the, The cost of data in the past year dropped by 25%, which I expect to continue going. But despite that, they grew um, their data revenues by 9.7%, I think. No, sorry, 19.5%. Too many numbers running around here. So they had a 25% drop in the cost of data, plus they had a 20% increase pretty much. In the revenues from data, which simply means that the amount of data that we're all using is growing really quickly. And there's no question, as phones get smarter, as we do more and more on them, you tend, and as the networks get better and you're using 4G data and other things, you know, related to high-speed data, you tend to land up using more. And no, sorry, that networks do not steal your data unfortunately your phones may well do so by using all these high speed data things by using high definition video in Facebook which you need to switch off it's a chore to do that I'll actually do a little how to uh, one of these days just to tell you how to switch off auto streaming video because here's the thing it, it buffers in the background. So even if you're not, if you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you're not actually watching a video, those videos and th- that information is loading in the background. It's streaming to your phone so that when you swipe up to that particular video or picture, it's there. And that uses data, something that we can talk about a little later. But it, in essence, Vodacom have really had a a good year. They do have one of the best networks in the country. In many cases, unless you're very savvy, they are one of the more expensive networks to use. But if you travel a lot around the country, if you're in rural areas, there's no question that Vodacom is by far the best. So... Their prepaid revenue also grew considerably, which is interesting. Uh, 1.5 million people in the quarter, and that's all about promotions and good value. And it's great with a 16.3% year-on-year growth in prepaid active customers, which is really interesting. Their average revenue uh, per user, which is a key metric for all the various networks, and this is actually very, very interesting – actually declined. And that is a sign that voice, which is the most profitable and the biggest revenue spinner, or was the biggest revenue spinner, is definitely on the decline. People are WhatsApping, using other ways of talking, data-based ways of talking, which helps to increase their data revenues um, rather than using voice calls. But data revenues, as we said, are dropping by 25%, or the cost is dropping by 25%, and only going up by 20% the revenue. So all in all, um, a good story, but a very clear reflection that we're moving to a data-only world. And um, the data traffic growth is really massive. They've had a fifty, nearly a 43% or 44% growth in just traffic. So um, data is certainly the biggest story. And uh, we expect that that will continue over the next little while. The good news is that prices of data, despite the fact that our dear Icaso has still not released any additional spectrum to the various networks to do all sorts of things. Though, again, this is political, watch the space. I foresee huge changes in the um, technology or the telecommunications landscape in the next year, running up to elections, certainly can't not cut costs, and I also expect to see massive uh, sort of um, political attacks on the networks to drop data and that sort of thing. So watch the space. Data is dropping. We are paying less overall, but we are using more. So pretty much um, you'll probably find in in a month you're landing up spending If not the same, maybe a little bit more on data. Now, another, talking about data, and before we get to a Tech Talk Cafe, I attended the launch of two new expanded data centers in South Africa, and they belong to Liquid Telecoms. Now, Liquid Telecoms was the company that bought Neotel, you may may or may not remember Neotel. They came in many, many years ago as the alternative to Telcom. They were given a full license to be the number two network operator in the country. We were supposed to be able to ditch our landlines and switch to Neotel. Well, none of that actually really happened. They brought out a sort of fixed mobile um, CDMA wireless based phone replacement, which worked okay. It really had no push in the market. I know no one who switched their phone line to Neotel and eventually just became another company like Internet Solutions, where they did a lot of sort of back end stuff. They connect, did a lot of connectivity and they supplied lots of data and things and telephones, you know, phone calls to everybody. And eventually they were sold to Liquid Telecom. Liquid Telecom is a massive African telecommunications group and they've got connectivity from, they proud to announce from Cape to Cairo um, and that is quite something. Well, the big news around the data centres and the rumour, they would not deny or confirm, they in fact wouldn't comment on it. The rumour is, and in fact it's I think it's a lot more than a rumour, Microsoft have announced or did announce late in the middle of last year that they will be setting up brand new data centers in Cape Town and Johannesburg and um, bringing the Internet way closer to all of us and lots of good things. Some people have been reporting that they've already felt the difference when you're using Office 365, and you save your documents in the cloud. Well, this is it. This is the cloud. This is where the data center is. So we did a quick whiz through it, saw the boxes running hot and running hard, um, and there is no question this is a really Tier 3 international-grade international, international grade, um, data center with full, full connectivity through the various interconnect agreements in South Africa. And the good news is that... Um, liquid along with its neotel routes is actually the termination point for some of the overseas cables that run through the sea so it's it's a great vote of confidence big multinationals placing their their servers directly in Africa in Johannesburg in Cape Town and what it means really very simply As Google, as Microsoft, as these guys put data centers here, the time to the Internet for you and me will no longer be 180 milliseconds where you have to deal with a server in in New York or in London. You will be dealing with a server in Johannesburg, Cape Town, either a couple of kilometers away or a couple of hundred, even a thousand kilometers away. And that brings the Internet way closer to all of us. And it was a massive investment, 1.5 billion rand in data centers and redundancies. They've got state-of-the-art, apparently, I didn't hear them run, but apparently the best generators in the country and two lines from ESCOM. So ESCOM can do what they like. They can run for a month on the petrol, I think I was told, uh, that they have. And even then, if all the generators fail, they can run for another day on the batteries. So (laughs) it's really quite... Amazing, And um, I think it's a, a great vote of confidence in the country, and I think it's an absolute necessity. We need to bring the Internet into Africa. We can't always rely on having to go through to the various servers around the world to get our data. It needs to be local. It needs to be super fast. And, in fact, Neotel right now are hosting the entire Netflix catalog along with other people. So every time you use Netflix, you're not getting that data from America or anywhere else. It's coming right here from Midrand or Cape Town or from um, a couple of other sites in South Africa. So the data center, cloud, and um, all that type of data serving is happening right here in Africa, in South Africa, and it's a huge, huge step forward. And on that note, we get a break for a quick advert, and then we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe, Brendan Ambrose, and all the news about AI. Hi FM Tech Talk, Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back and welcome to Tech Talk Cafe. And with us on the line, I hope, is Brendan Ambrose. Brendan, are you there? I am indeed. Oh, ah, well, welcome back to Hi FM. Um, for, for my loyal listeners, or our loyal listeners, they will remember that for many years you co-hosted, in fact, often took the show um, right here on Hi FM, but Things have moved on, and you've now got a new role. Just tell us a little about um, what you do, and uh, then we can talk about all these smart machines uh, of the future.
1: So, so I'm a, an associate at a law firm called Spur and Fisher, uh, Spur and Fisher in Centurion, sure. Johannesburg, etc. I'm primarily based in Centurion, and what my role is here is I act as an associate in commercial intellectual property. Now, that is anything that relates to your IP and actually commercializing it in the simplest in the simplest form. So, it's licensing, the creation of computer software, the licensing of that software, um, or the registration of trademarks and license agreements between holding
0: companies and subsidiary companies. So essentially the terms, you, that's that's what I do. Oh brilliant. So so <laughs> it's quite weird I'm interviewing you which is is very cool. But what we're talking about here is that we're moving forward into a world where it used to be just all human intelligence creating everything and there are massive rules and regulations and and and, and methodologies of protecting your intellectual property protecting your work and you know Regulating how it's handled across the world, but there's a, a new uh, sheriff in town. There's something coming that's going to cause tremendous upset in this in this in this nicely run arrangement, and that is so-called artificial intelligence. So, give us your view of what you consider artificial intelligence to be.
1: So, what AI is, in the broadest of terms, is that where a computer can perform tasks normally requiring human human intelligence things such as visual perception, speech recognition, and then taking those and making decisions based on that. And a subset of artificial intelligence is something called machine learning, which is where computers have the ability to learn without being programmed. So traditionally what happens is, well, what happened is you would have a set of logical rules and you'd input those into a computer one by one. And the general understanding was that if you put in enough of those rules you would eventually reach AI because there would be so many rules and there would be so many possibilities that there would be no way that an intelligent decision could not come out of the computer. That is no longer the thinking. Where we are currently is we are looking at things such as neural networks, the human brain, to see how that interacts. So computer algorithms now are no longer strictly logical things. They work in in a network function. So I mean, if you think of your brain as a There's a massive interconnected web of information, decisions, past experiences. That's what we're trying to get to with artificial intelligence. And to feed that, you need big data. So you need massive amounts of data, which there was a great algorithm, great analogy by uh, Pedro Domingos, who's a professor at the University of Washington in computer science, I think. And he says that AI is the planet we're trying to get to. Machine learning is the rocket we're using to get there. That's exactly a very clever analogy to that. To that rocket, and I think that's that's just brilliant because that fits in very well. Because in truth, we're not at true artificial intelligence yet. It appears in our lives in, in places like you were talking about Netflix earlier, and um, it's hosted locally, and most likely the processing of the, of Netflix's AI takes place here. And what I mean by that is, you select a movie on Netflix, then asks you to rate that movie. You give it two stars, and Netflix will then input into your profile that you gave this movie two stars. And based on the genre, uh, uh, music, and a whole bunch of other criteria of that movie, it'll start building a, a taste profile for you, which is why when you log into Netflix, there's an array of users. So, you just, Because it's building a taste profile for each person, and that is a form of AI. So the fuel, the data, is what you watch and your rating. Um, and then the machine learning is how it takes that, which is the rocket, and plugs it into your profile, which is the a, which is essentially the AI. So that's created a, a bit of an issue when it comes when it comes to the legalities around these sorts.
0: But before we get to that, um, the truth is. Right now, we are still talking about really fast, smart machines taking tons and tons of data, mashing it all together, and coming up with fairly logical um, sort of deductions and decisions based on the information that's available. But the true AI um, of of sort of intuitive deduction hasn't really started happening yet, or, or has it? No, it hasn't. not Not to that
1: extent. Where where differs slightly is that it's not always logical deduction, so it doesn't necessarily follow a logic, and that's what's so cool about it, is that it's not it's it's not a strictly um, a plus b equals c type of methodology, a plus b equals c, but based on what I've what I've known, it might also equal a b. So it's it's looking at various inputs and combining those inputs to create something useful. And traditionally, only humans have been able to think inferentially. Uh, come up with deductions and and create things that aren't strictly linked to the problems which you have been presented. And that's where AI is now. We're sort of at, at a bit of a precipice. There's a phenomenal book which you need to read on holiday while thinking of nothing else called The Singularity by Ray Kurzweil. And that's saying that we're at the precipice, so to speak, of where we are in computing power. And within the next 20 years, it's going to accelerate far beyond what we can actually comprehend which I mean, gets into all sorts of philosophical debates. But essentially, what, what he's saying is that right now, AI is sort of useful, but it's not the all and end-all of computing power as it stands.
0: Now, where is this all... I mean, there's no question Ray Kurzweil's vision of the future is pretty uh, cataclysmic, I think is the right word. He's really, <laughs> he really goes into great depth about how this is going to exponentially change the world. But right now, more and more questions are being asked about how you create something, what you create, when you create it. I mean, there have been symphonies written by computer programs. There are so many um, – the, the IBM Watson AI is getting involved in, in, in the most mundane things. I mean, they're running it across pretty much every platform in every business that you can think of. Now, when a program, for example, initiated by a human and then finalized or finished by an AI – is, is created. What are the implications of that? Doesn't that change a lot of things around how we, we look at what we make and what we create?
1: Completely. It, it really adjusts, it shifts the goalposts because what I think it does is it creates a new type of work. So, to have a look at, at, at where we are currently. Um, the law of copyright in South Africa is protected by the Copyright Act, and the creation or work in terms of the Copyright Act. Um, is something like an artistic work, a literary work, so a book, a movie, uh, a musical work, um, things like that. So anything which generally comes from human endeavours. Sorry?
0: Yeah, carry on.
1: So I- generally something which comes from a human endeavour, from your imagination, from the sweat of your brow, is considered a work in terms of the copyright act. There are certain exclusions, but that's not really that important for... Um,
0: no, no, for let's keep it high level here. You remember, I know you, you've studied this stuff, but yeah, point <laughs> taken. So if we sweated, we made it. we well, sweated, you've made something. Great.
1: Now, the author is generally speaking the owner of things in the Copyright Act. Again, broadly speaking. But now when it comes to AI works, so the, the, the copyright act of range is between computer aided works and the computer generated works. Now, the computer aided work is something where I mean, think of the word document. You typed it using a computer. You're the owner of that document. Four point, Yeah. Other ex, ex, uh, existing factors.
0: Unless you copied it from somewhere else. Yeah, no. Or well, well, all myriad of <laughs> other things. But let's just stick with the strict. Sure. You
1: typed out a document, uh, a little, a little novella. And um, it's yours. And that is now yours, out of your own, out of your own uh, interest. Now, then there's computer generated works, which is what when I was looking into this initially, I thought, oh, cool, like this will actually fit in quite nicely with um, with AI works. Now, computer generated work is where the computer itself creates the work. Now, in the Copyright Act, in the, in the definition of author, it says a literary, dramatic, musical, or artistic work or computer program which is computer generated means. By the person whom arrangements necessary for the creation of the work are undertaken. Now.
0: That means simply?
1: That poses, so, so, so that poses an issue because it's the owner of, or the author of that work and therefore the owner in, in this case would be the person who made the arrangements to, for the work to be created. Now, AI, that's not necessarily the case. So you, you spoke about Watson earlier. There was, um, Watson was programmed to create a, Movie trailer for a film called Morgan. And what, what it did is it just reviewed a hundred classic horror movies and learned what scares humans and then created a Morgan trailer based on what we know scares us or what it thinks scares us, which I mean, I think a pretty frightening place to start with AI. I mean, you know, let's train this thing to figure out what scares us. Probably not the best place to start.
0: the, The wrong, the wrong direction.
1: It's like, you know, it's a bit Stuxnet,
0: to be honest.
1: (laughs) Um, So, so what it did is there was no, there was a person who said to the AI, go ahead and create this. But in my mind, that's very similar to saying to someone, you know, a friend of yours, do me a favor, please paint me this painting. So, in that case, technically, the AI would own the work. But now, but that now, just let's,
0: let's just pause there a second, and that's a, a brilliant analogy. I commission a work of art, or I go to someone and say, listen, I want you to paint this painting for me. You do it. You sweat over it. You make it. Where does, the, where does the ownership or copyright exist in that? I mean, I think this leads to where we're going in this whole thing.
1: Sort of, but we'll bring it back on track. Yeah, But when you commission something to be created for you, it's normally done in terms of an equipment. If there's no agreement, the person who created that work will generally own it. So, let's say you commission a photographer to take photographs at, at your wedding, say, and the photographer takes those photographs and hands you the photographs. The, pho- the photographer actually owns the photographs. So, in those sort of contracts, you need to look and see that there is an assignment of copyright. And assignment of copyright has to be in writing. So, this, we're not... We need to I'm assign it. No, you can't agree to assign... Well, you can agree to assign it in writing. Oh, okay. You can agree to assign something in the future, uh, a work to be created, but it has to be in writing.
0: Oh, it has okay. to be written... And in that's mind. a great point.
1: So, just, you know, top tip of the day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Put it in writing.
1: <laughs> Put it in writing. Okay, so, so back, back, to back to this
0: whole AI-created work where yes. it was just said, go off and make us a trailer. So,
1: so, there's, so, so there's, there's a really cool case in the States um, called... Maturo v. David Slater. And what happened in this case is, uh, wildlife photographer David Slater went to Indonesia, befriended a group of macaque, maca- macaque monkeys. Yeah. And set up this whole camera, like this whole system where you could take pictures of these monkeys. What then happened was, is he left the camera there and allowed the monkeys to take selfies.
0: <laughs> now. Very new age. Monkey selfies. Very
1: new age. But I mean, also very trusting to leave your. Nikon DSLR camera with the macaque. but
0: anyway. Yeah. That,
1: that aside, that aside, the copyright, the US Copyright Office, because unlike um, South Africa, where you don't need to register copyright, in the states, you, well, you can register copyright. So the the US Copyright Office refused to register this copyright in, in the pictures because they were works created by a non-human. And so now this guy spent all his money heading off to Indonesia to create these. Photos uh, will be selfies of the monk with monkeys, and he's now pretty much not got very much money out of it. Because because he doesn't own those he, pictures. Well, no, not according to the U.S. Copyright Office. Then Peter came along in and they, and they wonder and said, Now, hang on a second. The monkeys need to own this copyright. And everybody <laughs> collectively <laughs> palmed and thought, What are you doing? But in any event, it's, a, it's an, actually a fascinating argument to think, Well, why can't they? Now, th- that one, and how does that, that
0: apply to AI?
1: Course. So, how it applies to AI is: let's say AI is the monkey, so to speak, and it just went ahead and created something. You, you know, there's an AI floating around. It's an, it's an algorithm. It is technically a computer program floating around, and it just pops out um, a piece of music and yeah. posts it on a Reddit forum.
0: But yeah. now, wouldn't the owner of the machine own the output of that machine?
1: So th- that's the issue now. Is that? there are so many people involved and, and disparate people that aren't connected in any way that are across continents that really have zero connection to the final product, but they do have some connection to the original AI. But now AI is shifting. So what, they, what these people originally created as being this um, artificial intelligence program has used, back to machine learning, machine learning to change itself. So now it might not resemble what was created initially at all.
0: So in, in other words, it's now a different thing and cannot be owned by the person who initiated it.
1: Technically, yes. So it creates, a, it creates an issue because AI is not a person. Just as the monkey is not a person, AI is not a person. And someone has to be able to own these works because if you are now commissioning something through the use of an AI, I mean, I, I know an, an album was recently created. In fact, a, a cool example is, Google have an AI called Deep Dream, and what it did is it was used to paint two pieces of art, and they each sold for $8,000. Now, that's a lot of money. Now, who got that $8,000? It was the people that claimed ownership. And if you look at that, it's those are the people that are effectively in control of that AI. They didn't really create any major inputs, but they, they controlled the whole scenario in which the AI existed. And to me, that seemed like a fair argument. That, let's say you commission Watson. Now, you are not, uh, you are not, um, responsible for the arrangements necessary for the creation of the work. Because you have nothing to do with Watson. You just logged on to Watson through IBM and...
0: You use the computer to create
1: yeah. some nebulous thing. Uh, Watson, create me a piece of art. But no other, no other... Um, information, but you give it access, say, to your social media profile, um, and you... and you you give
0: give it data parameters.
1: Yeah, and you give it access to your Google photos. So it sort of picks up what you're about. Um, And it sees that you've reviewed a couple a couple pieces of art, and that you tend to frequent modern art museums as opposed to classical. And then it creates your piece of art. You have effectively commissioned it. You are in control of Watson in that case. And to me, that that's a, that's a logical argument. That, to me, would be an AI-generated work, not a computer-generated work, as the Copyright Act currently stands. It's not a computer-aided work because we had...
0: Yeah, you had nothing to do, to, do to do with it. it. But now, sorry, Brendan, we actually need to wrap this up. Unfortunately, our time is running way ahead of us. We could probably talk about this forever. But very simply put, how does that impact business in South Africa, and how would an organization such as yourself be able to... Um, Assist companies that are using, and I mean, and and actually are using, let's say, the Watson, the IBM Watson pro- platform, mm. to create stuff and and look after their rights going forward.
1: So to now talk strictly legally, each each situation is individual, and that's where speaking to your attorneys is so important currently because it's such a nebulous situation where we are. Um, there's no legislation that directly applies. It's generally going to come down to the contract where the contracts sit. So, if they sit in South Africa, or if they're bound by the jurisdiction of the states, so which law governs those contracts? How they govern it? And individually per business, what you want out of those contracts? What you want out of Watson? If you don't particularly care what Watson or whatever AI you're using creates for your business, um, and you're just using the information that comes out of it, you don't necessarily want to own it. It's a different situation to where. You're using the AI to optimise your code in your software, and it's very important that you own that software because you're licensing that out. But it's, it's very particular to what you're what you're looking to get out of it. So it's important. It's an important point just to consider when you're using an AI when you're using any sort of online tool which
0: could be based on creating, AI creating, you yeah. in creating something. And that I think that's the, the, the crux of the matter. More and more, as machines get smarter, we'll be using AI in pretty much everything. And that includes creation of business platforms and things that we actually use to to make money and to run our, our lives. So quite critical that we we are aware of the implications of that. And, in fact, think about it before because the legislation certainly is not clear on the matter at all. No.
1: So there is a copyright amendment, bill which is currently being but I'm doubtful whether it will go into artificial intelligence at this
0: stage well brilliant I'm afraid
1: that's what comes out of
0: this sorry to cut to, you short
1: there Brendan speak but to your attorneys yep and sorry, speak to your attorneys preferably um, Spur and Fisher oh what a question quick plug like there that. Um, and just determine where you sit and what you're doing and what, and what you want out of this I mean and that that is until AI replace us in which case
0: you'll um, speak to your AI and AI. ask it what it suggests <laughs> on that note, I'm afraid we have to call it a day. But fascinating discussion and one that just takes you down a rabbit hole of possibilities and change. Well, that was Brendan Ambrose from Spur and Fisher. And uh, always talk to your attorney when you want to protect your rights. That seems to be the bottom line. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Brendan, and we'll chat soon. TAC Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 Firepower. Welcome back, and as I said, we could have carried on talking about artificial intelligence and AI and machine learning and algorithms. And I've spoken about IBM Watson on the show a couple of times over the last couple of years. Essentially, it is a commercially available artificial intelligence-based platform that allows companies to do all sorts of things create all manner of things. It's in, it's incredibly extensible, and even small businesses can use the uh, Watson platform to do create apps, do all sorts of fantastic stuff. And I mean the whole um, the whole role of, of of artificial intelligence going forward is just growing exponentially. In a nutshell. Um, We went through the age of big data where companies were just collecting tons and tons of data. As we automated, as we went digital, as companies went digital, as we used Google more, we didn't realize that every action we took, every search we made, every transaction we did was stored somewhere, somewhere in the cloud, somewhere. And as the cloud has grown... As connectivity has grown, the links between you, me, the machine, has just got shorter and shorter. Data centers opening up exponentially across Africa. It's big business. It's big money to be made. And all of this stuff uh, creates masses of massive pools of data and then you throw on top of that all the smart phones massive processes that are th- shoved into a smartphone i mean you've got a phone that lasts two days weighs a couple hundred grams sits in your pocket and yet has got processing power better than a laptop from last year something that's big and solid and needs to be lugged around in a briefcase so when you start talking about that sort of stuff you can run programs you can run algorithms that actually seem smart. They're almost artificial in their intelligence or or almost intelligent in their artificiality. And there you sit with the perfect storm, per Ray Kurzweil. We are looking at a world that no element of anything that you do will not be touched by artificial intelligence. Something as simple as watching movies on Netflix, guess what? There's an algorithm running in the background deciding what you like, what you don't like and what should be brought to your attention at any point in time. The same happens for advertising, the same happens for books, it happens for everything. Uh, Amazon have long been working on platforms of that sort and they're going to get smarter, they're going to get sharper and in fact it'll be as simple as you walk into the office and say Dear Watson, I need a new app to do XYZ. Would you mind just doing a little bit of research, checking out what's available? And if nothing's available, create one for me by tomorrow afternoon. And boom, off it'll go and do precisely that without any more information than what you just told it. Ultimately, algorithmic based uh, everything. And um, there's going to be massive legal social, and all sorts of other issues around that. So something we will explore more and more as we go along because, as I said, we saw at CES, everything's connected, everything's smart, everything's got a processor, um, and by 2020, 2021, even the most mundane thing like your kettle... Every household appliance made by all the big manufacturers will be connected in some way or other. And when you connect, you share data. When you share data, machines get smarter. So, wow, do we live in a strange, interesting, and crazy world. Now, moving on to uh, my gadget of the week, something far less technical, and yet it is technical, um, is a set of headphones. I've recently had the pleasure of reviewing a pair of or a set of headphones from iFrogs, a um, company called Zag. They're one of the big manufacturers around the world that do really good quality accessories and screen covers and cables and you name it. But they've also got a great range of headphones um, under their iFrogs with a Z brand. And the new ones are the Aurora wireless headphones. Now, as you, as a lot of people have realized, a lot of the new phones, certainly the new phones from Apple. Um, Coming a couple of others from Motorola and more and more phones are coming without headphone jacks. So people are saying it's crazy. I tend to agree to some extent. Um and the whole Bluetooth thing is still a little bit up in flux. There's great new standards, not all of them are compatible, but generally Bluetooth has become a de facto way of connecting headphones and whatnot to to your phones and connecting your phones to your car and connecting your phones to all sorts of things, but a really good set of Bluetooth headphones is almost um, is almost an absolute essential. So I tried these out, these new iFrogs and um, the the Aurora wireless headphones and. F- First and foremost, I must say, they are very, very well priced. They're selling at around about 499 Rand. You can find them on Take-A-Lot, uh, pretty much across all the retailers. Um, and they are full Bluetooth enabled headsets. Really solidly, ni- solidly built, nicely put together for the money. The quality of the materials is great, but where they've put a little bit of extra cares in two areas. The first one is the drivers. They're a 40 millimeter driver, which is A nice size gives you good volume, good bass, um, and good control for the money. Um, And also the the, uh, foam earpieces are nicely made from a a product called Aerofoam. Um, Essentially, it's like a type of smart, not smart, but memory foam, which gives a really comfortable fit. I've been able to travel with them, use them for extended periods without much fatigue. If you've got a very small head, I must say for young people and for people with very small heads, I found that the bands are a little bit loose. But other than that, really comfortable, easy to use Bluetooth headphones with uh, con- controls on the on the one ear, you can turn up the volume, change tracks and no wires. The good news is, should the batteries go flat or you lose the charge, you can plug in a wire and run it like a normal pair of wired headphones which is included in the box um, and a really simple clean, smart set of headphones at a very, very reasonable price. Sound quality is good, they've got decent bass, not the deepest, not the most powerful good smooth mid-range and the treble's quite clear Quite crisp, but not entirely um, uh, clean. But overall, for the money, as I say, very easy to listen to, um, very easy to to use, simple. Got about a 10-hour battery life on it charged. Can be charged with a a standard um, phone charger pretty much anywhere. You can charge it from your laptop you can do all sorts of things and it's really a very simple easy to use set of headphones if you want more information just go to www.zag.com. Um, but as i said you can pick them up on on take a lot just do a quick little search for aurora or or frogs and find them so if you're looking for to ditch the wires get rid of the cables Nice pair of Bluetooth headphones that won't break the bank. Um, I highly I highly recommend these new iFrogs Auroras. They really sound good. They're decently made. They should last quite well. They come with a two-year warranty just in case there's a problem. And uh, uh, work really effectively. I must say, I wandered around the house up even slightly more than 10 meters away from your phone which is the spec for the bluetooth and they didn't cut out they didn't crackle and uh that works extremely well so if you're looking for a set of headphones without the cables uh gives you decent sound at a reasonable price highly recommended are the new ifrogs um, aurora wireless headphones and on that note we've got a break for a quick advert and then i'm back with my app of the week Hi, with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Hi there, and welcome back. And now moving on to apps, gadgets. Always, always helps. Uh, a cool app that I've been using in the last little while, in fact, for quite a few months. And I spoke about it on 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 air a couple of months back. Is called Truecaller. We all get spammed. We all get a million odd calls. Hi, uh, would you like a new cell phone? And Obviously, it's slowed down a bit. It's January, but December was crazy. Every two minutes, your phone rings, and it's an unwanted um, spammer trying to sell you something or or make you buy something. Now, Truecaller is a great app. It works on iOS, which is Apple. It works on Android, which is pretty much every other phone on the market. It works really well on Android. It replaces your dialer if you wanted to. It gets really deep into the operating system. and and allows it to block all SMSs and all calls um, based on all sorts of spam lists that are out there. Now, that is just a touch of what it can do. What they've announced as of um, this, well, mid-January, is that you can now um, back up what they call true caller backup for android not available on ios as yet but if you've got an android phone this new new feature allows you to backup and restore all your contacts your call history your block lists and settings to google drive now if you've got an android phone you need to have a, a google account and by definition every single google account comes with a google drive account automatically nothing you don't have to do anything all you need to do is use your username A Google username and password to log into your phone, and once you've done that, your Google Drive is connected and available. Now, what Truecaller does, it uses that to be so that you can back up all the stuff automatically um, to to Google Drive. The benefit is really, really simple. Should you lose your phone, lose your SIM, whatever the case may be, change your number. You can simply use your username and password for Google to log into your new phone, uh, put your new SIM card in, if you, even if you reset uh, your device. And then once you log in, the backup will restore all your true caller journey stuff straight up. So your block lists will come, all your contacts will be there, your call history will be there, your SMSs will be there, everything um, will be restored pretty much directly from the cloud. Again that's going to use a little bit of data, but I think the the, the, the sheer joy of not having to worry about that stuff um is, is great. It simply your new phone then picks up where your old phone left off and um it's, it, it's brilliant. Now, you can, obviously, depending on your data usage, you can customize the frequency of the backup between daily, weekly, monthly, or on demand. I would suggest you leave it on a daily. The amounts of data used uh, for this type of information is tiny. Do the initial backup via um, Wi-Fi and then leave it on a daily update. So every day it will simply top up the data that's sitting in your, your Google um, Drive with the latest data. It doesn't transfer everything again. And by doing so, the very worst that can happen is that you lose 24 hours' worth of call data, uh, which is not as, as traumatic as a whole month or two or year's worth of data. Anyway, so… Have a little look. TrueCallers is a free app. They have got a premium uh, thing, but I don't—I've never used it, and I haven't found it necessary. They pop a few adverts in <laughs> to help pay for the system, but they're pretty much—they're quite respectful. They don't seem to pop up too much, and they don't really get involved in your face. But Truecaller does—it really does help stop all sorts of spammy uh, phone calls and and, and um, messages, and it certainly keeps you a little bit cleaner from that point of view. And now that you can back all that information up, it doesn't matter when you change phones. It doesn't matter if you lose your phone. It doesn't matter if it's stolen or simply stops working. It's all there, backed up in the cloud via our friends at Google. And um, it's, again, not a ton of information. So it's really very respectful of your data. It won't cost you a lot to do. And it will certainly save you from having to worry about ever backing up or changing or looking for contacts and keep you safe and sound uh, pretty much across all your mobile devices. Hopefully they bring that to um, iPhone. The iPhone tends to back up everything to Apple's iCloud. Uh, so you have a similar thing, but not quite on the same level as um, which is available right now on Android. But Truecaller, both on Android and iOS, is a highly recommended program. It's worth downloading. It's worth letting it get involved and helping you stop all the spamming. And on that note, um, I've been waved at. It's time. Our time is up. Another hour flies by. Uh, stay tuned next week on High FM 11 to 12 for Tech Talk and all the latest news from tech. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk.